Well, good morning. Welcome to The Vine. So glad that you're here with us this morning. Thank you for all that you're doing. Uh, just to come and make an effort to be here, we're so thankful for you. So, let me just give you a reminder of where we have been in the last four weeks and where we're headed. So, we're in the middle of a vision series. We do this every start of the year. If you're new here, we do this every start of the year. And uh, we talk about gospel, community, and mission. Our mission statement is the Vine Church seeks to be a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plant churches through, through declaration, among neighbors and nations, through declaration and demonstration. That's what we're all about. And so we've had uh, two messages on gospel, this thing that we declare. What is the essence of the message you believe? Uh, community, what does a family of believers look like? And then this week and next week is going to be mission. Um, and we'll talk about that in a second. If you're a member here, let me ask a favor of you, though. If you've missed any of these weeks that we've been preaching through this series, would you go to the podcast and download it and check that out for me? Because this is kind of the target that we're shooting at as a church family. And, and, and these guys, that, uh, Scott and Michael and myself, we put a lot of time into trying to cast vision for where are we headed and who are we trying to be? What's the target that we're shooting at? So if you missed any of those, just go down and, and listen to it. Maybe listen to the car on the way to work or whatever. Um, it just kind of helps us remember who we are and what we're doing and why we're doing what we're doing, okay? Because here's the deal. We're going to do something different this year. Talked about it a few weeks ago, uh, but I'll remind you again today. If you're a member here, uh, in two weeks we're going to have a covenant renewal ceremony of sorts. Uh, this might sound a little heavy, but we're going to ask you to re-up uh, re your commitment to being a member of this church. And not because anything's hugely wrong. We just want to do this as a, as a practice, again, to remember, okay, I'm reading, this is, this is who we are, this is the Covenant of Fellowship, we've tweaked it a little bit, and yeah, I'm, I'm in. Like, I'm in. And I just want to say that I'm in. I want to be serious about, about the fact that I'm in. I'm not just playing church. Um, if we're playing church, we've got better things to do on Sunday morning, sleep in. But if we're going to be in, let's be in, Okay. And so if you're a member, we're going to call you to that in two weeks, and there'll be more information. If you want to see the tweaks we've made to the Covenant Fellowship, it's in the important channel on Slack right now. Um, you can check that out when you get home. Now, maybe you're not a member yet, but you want to be, so a great action point for you might be to sign up for the membership class, and you'll hear more information on that from James um, at the end of the service. Maybe you're not a member, and you're just not sure where you stand with the vine, or where you're at in your faith. Um, if you, though, are sure that you are a Christian, and, and, and you want to be a part of the body of Christ, there's going to come a time, after maybe just assessing the vine, uh, we're going to call you to, hey, let's get off the sidelines, and let's play in the game, okay? Let's not be a, a wallflower Christian at the dance. You know what I'm saying? There's no wallflower Christians. Uh, the Bible doesn't, doesn't speak to that. It's just assumed that that doesn't exist, okay? And so there, after a period of time, hey, let's talk. And let's talk about what, what, what's, what, why is there maybe a, a reticence to want to dive all the way in. Let's just flesh that out, okay? And after a period of time, you know, maybe you decide the vine's not the place for you. And that's okay. We're not the only game in town. And, and we don't assume that we are, and we don't assume we're the best or anything. Uh, and there's lots of churches that we love in, in Madison that we'd love to recommend to you. But we just want you to be engaged somewhere, and be all the way engaged, okay? Maybe today you're an unbeliever, and we're just so glad you're here. And we pray that today 
you would see the worth and the value of King Jesus. And even if you don't, you're welcome here. And we want you to know that. So today, uh, if we look at our three big words, gospel, community, mission, we're going to focus on the third one there, mission. And we're going to do that. Uh, What does that look like to have a life on mission? What does that mean? What does that feel like? And today we're going to focus on that individually. And next week we're going to focus on what that means collectively or corporately, okay, as a church. So if you have a Bible, um, open up to the book of Romans, and Christine is going to come and read our text for us today. Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 13. And if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen. So Romans 10, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans 10, starting in verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Thank you, Christina. So if you're here this morning and maybe you're not a Christian, I want to I speak to you first, okay? In our, in our culture, it's very common to hear that we shouldn't claim to know the truth, okay? Any claim to know the truth, like in a capital T sense, is arrogant. Or another way that we talk about it is, uh, we hear this a lot, it's wrong to force your morality on someone else. Or we shouldn't hold beliefs to be ultimate, but we need to be open-minded, right? Never too sure or certain of our convictions, And in a sense, I get what that means, and that's good. To the degree that that means we need to be respectful of people, yes and amen, okay? But upon further reflection, we can find and we can embrace the fact that this line of thinking implodes upon itself very quickly because no one ever lives that out consistently, okay? Let me give you an example of what I mean. Really simple. If I were to ask you, Is there anyone doing anything wrong in the world right now where if you saw them doing that, you would tell them to stop? Is there anyone in the world right now doing something that if you were to see them doing that and you were able, you would tell them to stop? You with me? People raping and murdering. People embezzling millions of dollars from their employer. People systematically oppressing the weak. If you saw someone doing these things and you had the opportunity, you would tell them to stop, right? You'd feel somewhat of a moral obligation to tell them to stop, right? You'd be cruel to stay silent. But I thought we couldn't be too sure of ourselves. Like we can't force our morality on someone else thought we had to be open-minded, tolerant, and willing to listen. But in these cases, we're not open-minded and tolerant or willing to listen, are we? And we shouldn't be. We confidently tell people to stop doing what they're doing. So you see what I'm saying? No one lives this consistently all the time, right? 
Now, does that mean we should be jerks about our convictions and, and blast people over the head, especially if they, they really have communicated they don't want to hear it? Of course not, but here's the point. Here's the point, very important. We all operate out of a set of values that we take to be ultimate, like it's wrong to kill people. You shouldn't systematically steal money from your employer. See, we all operate out of a set of values that we take to be ultimate, that we take to be capital T truth. We don't even think about it. It just happens. But see, this doesn't make you closed-minded. It just makes you a human being, okay? So all that to say, there's a lot more we can say about that, okay? But all that to say is that brings us to where we are today in our vision series, because here's the connection. Christians believe as capital T truth, it's not relative, it's not just opinion, this is the capital T truth, that all of known history is centered on this man, Jesus Christ. That's a bold claim. We realize that. And he's the son of God, the second person of the Trinity, And he came into this world to mainly do one thing, to save us from our sins by laying down his life in our place and rising from the dead so that we can glorify God by enjoying him forever. And Christians believe this is the actual truth, capital T truth. And as a result, this is where it connects to today, as a result, we believe that it's our joy, delight, and pleasure to share this news with anyone who's willing to see their need to be saved from their sins and come to truly know for the first time that they can have meaning, they can have purpose, they can have joy in life, free from all these things that we pursue that leave us yearning for more. More money, more relationships, more success, more sex, whatever. Finally, you can know that you can get off this treadmill of search for meaning and find life, true life. And it's found in knowing that you can have a right standing with the God of the universe. The one who casts the stars into the sky, like like Jordan said, sitting by the edge of, of a beautiful lake, and you see the sunset, and you're like, how, really, is this all just random? Am I really just a cosmic accident? just the product of evolutionary time and chance, is that really what this all boils down to? No, you can know that your sins can be forgiven through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And he paid the penalty for your sins so you don't have to. He died the death. He loved us so much that he was willing to lay down his life and bear the judgment of God in our place so that we don't have to. And then rising again from the dead historically as a fact to prove it's all true. He can be trusted. He can be valued, treasured above all else, better than sex, cars, and money. And this is the message. This is the message that Christians declare. We have something to say, and we're going to focus on that declaration this morning if you're a Christian here today. And here's the action point. Jesus gave all of his followers a mandate to share this truth. To anyone who's willing to listen. And that's this morning. This is, this is part of the core of who we want to be as a church. And if you're a member here, this is the direction that we want to be heading together. That's why we do this vision series. This is the target we're shooting at. This is what the Bible says, and so we want to head this direction. 
So at the Vine, like I've already said, we talk about this two ways, individually and collectively. Individually or corporately, okay? And so this week is what's, what, what goes on in what we call your sphere of influence, meaning where do you find yourself? You have a sphere, like just imagine a sphere walk, as you're walking around, right? And, and that sphere interacts with all these different people in your life. You've got a sphere of your neighborhood. You've got a sphere of your workplace, most likely. You've got a sphere of your hobbies. What do you enjoy doing? You sing in a choir in Madison. You play ultimate frisbee in Madison. You go to concerts with people. You're bowling with people. Whatever. You've got a sphere. And so what does your sphere of influence look like? And what are you doing to be intentional there? And next week, we're going to talk about what we do together. And that's we plant churches. Said more specifically, we want to plant churches that plant churches that plant churches that plant churches. Okay, see how reproduction works there? But that's next week. Today, what do we do individually? And, and keep your Bible open, or if you don't have it, look at the screen. Let's just look at how Paul broke this down. He's writing 2,000 years ago to churches scattered across Rome, okay, And he writes to us today as well, Madison 2017. It says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not yet believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So what is this text? What, what is this text all about? Do you see a, a style of what Paul's doing here? What I see is just a series of rhetorical questions. It's very logical, building one on the other. Okay? So think about it like this. You see that? Now, he starts with a, a quote from the Old Testament. So all he's doing is he's providing some evidence of support for what he's about to say. And the quote from the Old Testament is, it comes from the book of Joel, and he's saying, way back in the day, way before 2,000 years ago in Rome, no, way back, okay, my people in Israel, Jewish people in Israel, there was a prophet from God who came and said to them, and he's quoting, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So he's just saying, guys, let me remind you, I'm not making stuff up here, the book of Joel, the prophet way back in the day, he already said this, but let me remind you, that if you call out to God and simply say to him, I need you. I can't save myself from my sins. I need you to save me because I'm not adequate in myself to manage the sin problem. If you say that to Jesus, he will save you. That's the promise of God. So Paul writing, again, is saying and reminding them of this fact. And then, based on that foundation, he launches into this series of rhetorical questions. And they all start with how. How? 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 And the first one is this. See all those hows there? How then, if that's true, what Joel said back in the day, how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? So they can't trust and treasure in Jesus unless they actually believe in him. Believe that he's worthy to be trusted and treasured. That's what the Bible calls faith, trusting and treasuring. Okay, so how will they call on him in whom they've not believed? Next step, well, how are they to believe in whom they've never heard? So it implies that people have to hear about Jesus. It's not just something they're going to see. It's something they're going to hear. Okay? Christianity is not just something to observe. 
That's, that's, the, that's the demonstration part. It's very important, but it's never just demonstration, see how Christians live and hope that they ask why. No, it's something to say, something to declare. How are they to believe of him they've never heard? See, most people in the history of the world have never had a, a written Bible. They may not have ever heard of Jesus. That's why Jesus gave this mandate in, in Matthew 28 to go and tell, declare, speak. They can't believe unless they hear. Okay, he keeps going, boom, boom. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So someone has to be willing to step up and say something. Now, preaching gets a bad rap on our culture. Like, don't preach at me. That's not what he's talking about here. He's just talking about being winsomely, gently perhaps, lovingly, respectfully, just sharing your convictions, okay? But someone has to at some point talk, have to say something about Jesus, right? It takes intentionality and a, and a willingness to speak no matter the consequences. So how are they to hear without someone preaching? And then verse 15, and how were t- they to preach unless they're sent? So the operative word here is sent, to be sent. So we don't just camp out in front of our house in a lawn chair hoping that someone will stroll by and, oh, excuse me, uh, I got something to say. That's not how Christianity works. The implication of Christianity is we're not going to stay put. We're going to go out. We're going to go out. We're going to go. We're not going to stay put. We're going to continually desire to see the, the borders of the kingdom of God expand until it reaches every square inch of this planet. And that's not by the sword, okay? It's the reign of love and of peace that comes through knowing Jesus. This isn't top-down trying to force people to believe. You can't force people to believe anything anyway. But it's, hey, I got something to say. Can I share it with you? And hopefully you'll see that what I'm saying is consistent in my life of love and sacrifice and servanthood that I live. But the Christian missionary impulse is always one of being sent out, not staying put. And then he just sums up with another quotation from the Old Testament. See there in verse 15? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. He's just saying this is a really good thing. When people hear good news and you bring it, that's a really, really good thing. Nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to fear, nothing to hide. You don't have to be a slave and bow down and worship at the idol of acceptance in our culture. That'll just leave you yearning for more. You'll never arrive. So just chuck that. So do you see the emphasis of the text, though? I just want you to see one thing. What's Paul trying to get at here? He's just saying, don't stay put. Go out and have something to say. You got to have something to say. You got to have something to say. There's nothing to fear. There's no reason to be shy. You don't have to be scared. We're going to do it our own style, in our own way, with our own gifts, in our own sphere of influence, but we got to have something to say. This is the best news in the world, and the world is literally spiritually dying to hear it. Now, if you're a Christian here today, all of us are probably in different places when it comes to how this actually looks in our lives, right? Some of you in this room are tracking quite well with this, and you're doing a great job. Keep it up. But others in this room, like me, feel as though you're struggling a little bit. 
and you know that you should be sharing, but you don't as consistently as you want to for a variety of reasons. And honestly, that's where I am this morning. And so I want the rest of this message to be about me and you, okay? I find myself right there. I'm not a super Christian. I struggle with this just like you do. I feel these things all the time. So as I've been reflecting on this, here's what I've come up with. It's not a big, it's not something hard to figure out, but just to simply have a plan. To have a plan. What's the, what's the, the catchphrase in our culture? Failure to plan is planning to fail, right? So we've got to have a plan. And um, it doesn't mean success, however you define that, but it probably will mean faithfulness. And, and biblically speaking, faithfulness is success, okay? Faithfulness is success. So God's just calling us to be faithful. He takes care of the results. You can't change anybody's heart, okay? So he, here's how I think about this. This isn't the only way. It might not be the best way, but it's simple. It's memorable, and I, and I, and I uh, encourage you to consider it this morning. Three steps to faithfully living on mission. Three steps to faithfully sharing your faith. Pray, be present, and present yourself as a Christian. Pray, be present, and present yourself as a Christian. All right? So let's talk about, first, the importance of prayer. Let me give you a a very simple illustration. Let's say I start the day with my wife, hoping that she's going to want to go on a date with me tonight. And uh, believe it or not, that might not be too far-fetched. It's once in a while. She wants to go out. It's a good thing. But on this day, I'm just hoping that she's going to want to go out tonight. We're going to go out to dinner. And the day rolls on, and she doesn't say anything. And we get to dinner, and I'm starting to get kind of grumpy about it. Like, I thought we were going to go out tonight. Like, what, what's, what's the deal? And so I'm just really hoping that, man, I want to go out on a date with my wife tonight. So it doesn't happen. We climb into bed, and uh, she can just tell that I'm upset. And she asks, what is wrong? Like, why are you so upset with me? And I say, well, I was just hoping that we could have gone out tonight, and you, you didn't say anything. What, what's her response to me going to be? You didn't ask. You didn't say anything. Like, am, am I, like, how, why, why is this hard? Like, you didn't ask. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. And if you're asking in accord with God's will, he's, he's more than pleased to provide. The operative word there is in his will. So John 6, 24, until now, you'd have not asked for anything in my name, Ask and you receive, and your joy will be complete. If you remain in me and my words remain in in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. Remain. Remain according to his will. So a prayer of crying out to God and asking, Lord, would you help me as as I desire to share my faith and make disciples? Would you help me with that? That's really in accord with his will. You can read Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It's really in accord with his will. He loves to answer those prayers. So let me ask you, is praying about this, if you're struggling with this like I do, is praying like this, about this a priority? 
is asking God to provide in this way a priority? Do you go to the Lord and plead for people in your neighborhood, your workplace, your friends that you see due to your hobbies, your biological family, your kids, if you have kids, etc.? If, if you're not doing this yet in any sort of consistent way, I just want you to stop worrying about anything else I'm going to say in this message, the other two Ps that are coming, and just make a plan for this. Just make a plan for this. Make a list. Put it in your Bible. Tape it on your mirror, right? Put it on your, your screensaver on your phone or your computer or whatever. See, when we become a people who pray consistently, the Lord moves, and it's always been that way, Right? Just open the book of Acts, constantly praying, praying, praying. And what happens? God moves by the power of his spirit. You wouldn't be here if probably someone hasn't been praying for you. So we start with prayer. We start with prayer. Have a plan for praying. And for those people in your life who don't know Jesus. All right? So we pray, and then we're, and then we're going to be present. We pray, and then we're going to be present, a desire to be present. Well, what does that mean? Well, this is where your creativity needs to kick in, okay? Because this can mean a thousand different things. But here's what it doesn't mean. I hide out in the backyard with a high fence, and I don't ever see anybody. No, Christians are front yard people, okay? You with me? We don't hide in the backyard because we want to engage. We want to be present, right? We're not going to be isolationist, right? So wherever you find yourself, engage there. If there's a party in the neighborhood, go. If there's something at school with your kids, go, right? And hang out and maybe just say, hey, I'm Zach. How are you? Well, don't say you're Zach, but say who you are. (laughs) Engage, right? I I can't make a list for you, but all I'm saying is the the Vine Church will never exist to be a a safe little Christian cul-de-sac. If you live in some type of homeschool fortress where you and your kids don't ever see people that don't know Jesus, and I'm not ragging on homeschool, like we educate our kids at home sometimes too, okay? But if that's your mentality, I'm scared of the world, let's hide behind some big walls, like my backyard, put up a big fence, like that's not Christianity. Don't hear me say that homeschooling is not Christianity, that's not what I'm saying. Okay, don't send me those emails. I'm fine with homeschooling, okay? But if, if you're doing that because you're scared, that's wrong. And you're doing that because you want to isolate yourself from people that don't know the Lord because they're sinners. That's not how Jesus was, right? Just open up your Bible. It doesn't, also doesn't mean that we can't have alone time. I, I'm a high introvert, believe it or not, Okay? If I don't have enough alone time, I implode, okay? So what's your capacity? Maybe you can have 25 people over from your neighborhood. Maybe you can only have two. That's fine. Do what you can within your style, with your gifting, right? Okay? But we have to be present. So when your city group has a serve time, we all have a serve time in our city groups, and they engage with those that are marginalized in our city, Go, make it a priority. Yeah, it's uncomfortable, but where do you find in the Bible that God calls you to comfort? I, I keep looking for that verse, and I just, I just can't find it. The, 
The upside-down ethic of the kingdom is this. If you want to gain your life, you lose it. And Jesus says that he's king of the universe, and he said it. So the question then becomes, do we believe him? That my greatest joy in life really is going to come through actually losing my life. That might look uncomfortable. You with me? Let me say one other thing about being present. Some of you will hear this and be very task-oriented like I am, and your, your temptation will be to make people into projects. Like, well, Zach said I need to go do this, and so I want to do it, and I want to prove myself, and I want some notches on my evangelistic belt, right? Man, that, that's how we harm people when we do that. And we harm the Lord, give him a bad reputation. So what the Lord calls us to is simply to love people not just love people, but we start there. Love people, why? In the way that he's loved us. So the more you reflect on how God has been loving towards you, if you're a Christian, by saving you, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you know that, and that's true of you, and God has pursued you in that way, how could you not be loving of others? So love for others doesn't make them into projects. Okay? People smell that coming a mile away. And that just harms people. But if you love people, you're going to tell them the truth. And you're going to do it in a way that's respectful and winsome and gentle. You don't beat people over the head with, with, with our convictions. But we desire to love people well. One of the best ways to be present, we're prayerful, and then we're going to be present, is just to show hospitality. Your kitchen table might be the most powerful force for sharing your faith, for being on mission that you have. A lot of people aren't ever going to show up to the vine, but they'll show up to your house. Do you love them? Well, have them in. Just get to know people. And just simply be interested in them. Love for people should go beyond the weather and the packers in our conversations, right? So God has pursued you in love. So we pursue others. And what, so what's that going to look like? Maybe it's just as simple as, as being interested in someone else. I mean, we live in a world where we pull this, this glowing screen out of our pocket and we stare at it all day. For you to set that down and just look someone in the eye and be like, hey, how are you? Oh, where are you from? What was your childhood like? What are things that you're really passionate about? Just, I mean, in a culture that's increasingly isolationist, to invite someone to sit at your table and make them a meal and just ask a simple question like that, man, that, that speaks volumes. And they're going to share about their life, and you can share about your life. And Jesus is part of your life if you're a Christian, so that's probably going to come out, right? And if it doesn't, then we got a problem. Or we just need to repent. Our neighborhood, when we moved in five years ago, we immediately kind of recognized it's a very quiet neighborhood. People don't really engage with one another. When we lived in Albuquerque, it was ten times worse. We lived in, like, classic suburbia and in a cul-de-sac, and people would drive their cars in, open up the garage door, shut the garage door, and literally, I had three or four neighbors just four houses down. I had, I mean, we lived in this house for four years in Albuquerque. I never saw them once. I never physically saw them once. 
I mean, that was just our culture. When we moved into our house, we just, well, what, what can we do about this? Like, we're not super Christians. So I don't know what to do. Well, let's, um, it's Christmas. Uh, people have open houses at Christmas. Let's just send the kids out because they're cute and people won't slam the door in their face. Uh, we won't go. But we'll send the kids out. Kids, make a flyer and just invite people over. No, no pressure. Just, hey, we're going to have food. We're going to hang out, have some drink. And people came over. And they loved it. And so oftentimes just a little step of intentionality. And then all of a sudden, people are talking to each other more. And we're having people in. Simple. There's no, nothing like super spiritual about that. But it's oftentimes those little things. And the Holy Spirit just whew, fans it into flame. So we pray, we're present. And then finally, we present like a Christian. We present like a Christian. Well, what does that mean? Well, I wanted to say what I really mean. What I really mean is to talk like a Christian, but that's not PPP, right? So good preacher alliteration, I have to say present like a Christian. So you'll remember that. But what I mean is talk like a Christian. Present yourself like a Christian. Well, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean are you ready for my presentation? Like I have my spiel, my Christian Jesus spiel, and then I'm going to drop it on you. Hopefully you're ready for it. And I don't know if I'm ready for it, and I don't know if you're ready for it, but here we go, boom. That's a lot of pressure. If you read the Bible, you'll see that Jesus never did it that way. He got to know people. He loved people. He learned about their idolatries. He tried to show them that their idolatries would never satisfy, that he would satisfy. You can go home and read John chapter 3. You can go home and read John chapter 4. You can read about the rich young ruler. I mean, it's everywhere. He didn't have a spiel. But he knew people, he loved people, and then he told them the truth about himself. So here's what I mean about present yourself like a Christian. Talk like a Christian. James prayed about it, this horrific shooting in Las Vegas. How does the Christian worldview connect? How does the Christian worldview connect with just what people say is senseless and random, and and we can't make sense of it? In some sense, it is. How, How do we talk about that? Well, I might say something like this. Hey, can I, if I'm talking to my neighbor or whatever, can I be honest with you about something that means a lot to me? We're talking about that issue. Ask for permission, that's good. I might say something like this. In, in times like these, I so greatly value the truth of what God has revealed in the Bible because this seems so senseless. This guy murders 58 people, alters their families forever, and wounds all these other people, probably giving them PS, PST, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder for the next 10 years or so. I mean, this is horrific. How do we make sense of this? Well, as a Christian, the Bible tells me that God says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Right now, this guy has got no justice. He shot himself in the head, and that's it. Really? Is that it? He gets to do this harm all these people, and then he gets to kill himself? No justice. Really? Is that, is that how this goes down? I, mean, I can't sleep at night with that, with a Hitler, with a Stalin. Name your atrocity. How do we sleep at night? Some people in this life get screwed, and some people don't. Is that really what happens in our world? No, that's not what happens in our world, because the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and justice will be served. This is not, this does not go unpunished. So I can sleep at night. 
I don't have to take care of it. I don't have to be anxious about it. The Lord says, I got it. I will deal with this guy. So you might not say all that, but you might say something like that, right? Now, some of you are thinking, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can come up with something meaningful to say like that right on the spot. I I prepped this, okay? So I don't do this perfectly either, right? And I I, I struggle, I get paralyzed. I don't know what to say. How does the Christian worldview intersect with all these things swirling around in our world? So what does that imply? It implies we might need to work at it a little bit. We might need to work at it a little bit, okay? Just give me some, let me give you some rapid fire ideas some things just to kind of soak in. Like, it's not going to get better overnight, and that's okay. We can be patient with ourselves. But over time, with a little constant effort, these things will get easier and easier to present yourself as a Christian. So, first one, just keep showing up on Sunday and, and city group, okay? This week in your city group, we're going to practice this. So show up. Give your best effort. Put some thought into it. It's really good. We're trying to establish a DNA as a church family where we're going to train one another to seek to engage and know how to engage and know how to speak. And the more that I ingest the things of the Lord, the easier it might be good or it might be to regurgitate these things. Maybe you need to, you might want to write this down, maybe you need to order a book called Basic Christianity by John Stott and read it twice this year. You can read it in an afternoon. It's short and just the, it's just the basics of what, the, what is the Christian worldview. Can I articulate that in my own words? Get a book um, called Making Sense of God by Tim Keller. Making Sense of God by Tim Keller. He will train you how to articulate in a winsome and gentle way your Christian convictions and why it makes sense. Why it's not just, why we don't have some faith where you just check your brain at the door. Like, that's not Christianity. But here's the question. What are we soaking our minds in? Because you can't think this way unless you're consistently in a context that helps you think this way. Does that make sense? Right? Let me give you a real practical example. If you get Sunday morning, city group, maybe a little Bible reading during the week, and maybe that's four hours a week of of soaking in, of training your mind to think about the truth. And that's four hours, but you spend 20 hours a week exposing yourself to the mindless triviality of internet silliness on Facebook, Twitter, Netflix, 24-hour news cycle, you add to the list. Which way of thinking is going to win out? Because there's a worldview in both of these. Facebook has a worldview that you're ingesting. The shows you watch on Netflix have a worldview that you're ingesting. And if I got 20 hours over here and four hours over here, which one is training me better? Right? This isn't a guilt trip. I'm just asking you to ask the question. Maybe take Porterbrook next year. Just go deeper into our DNA of gospel community mission. Just practice rehearsing in your head scenarios. We got hurricanes going crazy in our world. What does the Christian worldview have to say about natural disasters? I don't know. Well, maybe I need to think about it. Maybe I need to dive in 
do a little research, ask my city group leader, help me with this. Well, what does the Christian worldview say about the economic disparity in Madison? What does the Christian worldview say about police brutality? What does the Christian worldview say about politics? What does Christian worldview say about high property taxes? Whatever. How, do you, how does your Christian convictions connect with these issues in a meaningful way? That's all I mean by presenting yourself as a Christian. We, we can talk about whatever, and since I'm a Christian, I can, I, can, I can shed light on that. You can shed light on why you believe what you believe, and I'll shed light on what, why I believe what I believe, and see what happens. It doesn't have to be barking at each other like the 24-hour news cycle. That's, that's never going to work. You've got to detox your brain from that garbage. That's not what we're talking about. Okay, we're talking about loving people enough to tell them the truth in a way that's winsome and respectful. The gospel offends enough. We don't have to be offensive in how we bring it. So how do we do this? We pray. We're going to be present. We're going to present ourselves as a Christian. If you're a Christian here today, or if you're not a Christian here today, can I remind you of the gospel? Your right standing with God does not depend on your performance in evangelism. Your right standing with God depends on Jesus' performance, where he lived a perfect life that you've not lived, died in your place, so that he bore the wrath of God instead of you bearing it yourself for your sin, and rose again from the dead, proving it all to be true, and that those who have trusted and treasured him will one day rise again to eternal life with him. Is that not good news? News so good that we'd be willing to share it, right? Let's pray. Father, would you help us? Apart from you, we can do nothing, so we simply ask for your help this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.